not long after my wife and I first married, uh, I stumbled on this relationship book. It was a book that claimed it would tell you your type of relationship and compare it with the three major types of relationship. And it equated those relationships to ice cream flavors. So I bought it because, hey, I needed help. It was our first year of marriage. It was a rough year of marriage for us. And I loved ice cream, so I figured I couldn't go wrong. Win-win. The three types of relationships, according to this author, right, and the three flavors that go along with it were vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate chili pepper. Now, I've never heard of chocolate chili pepper. I don't know where you'd find chocolate chili pepper, but I'm still on the hunt 20 years later for this ice cream because it sounds amazing, right? Rich spicy. And it was just like our relationship. And so I was hooked. I wanted to understand this thing. Vanilla, kind of evident, right? Vanilla is straight-laced, middle of the road, always predictable, never really volatile at all, no change. Strawberry was like the free-spirited, fun-loving, adventurous, we don't live by a calendar, we just kind of go relationship. And then there was the chocolate chili pepper, which was the opposites attract relationship, right? And when opposites attract, the passion is great and it's rich, but you also have those chili pepper moments, right? When the sparks fly. And so as I'm going over this book and looking at it, I'm like, this explains everything because our first year of marriage was so hard. And I couldn't understand why. And I got to the point where I was beginning to question a lot in the midst of it. But this book and seeing chocolate chili peppers, I guess this is us. It explained to me why we were so madly in love one moment. And then the next moment, it was like cats and dogs. And we couldn't get along. My wife's screaming at me like, don't touch me. I'm like, I'm not trying to touch you. I'm trying to strangle you. Like, (laughs) hold still, right? Because the chocolate chili pepper, right? I mean, the, the passion is great, but the stubbornness and the opinions collide in the middle. And is this not relationships? And is this not the madness that we face in relationships? We long for a relationship only to get into it. And then we're like, what? We, we, we plead for God to bring someone along that we do life with only to get into life with them and realize we have no idea what we're doing. And we're not sure we want them along for the ride anymore. And, and, and it's not just true of romantic relationships. It's true with kids. We, we pray to have kids, and then they become kids. And it's like, what is this? And why don't they listen? And why don't they ever clean up? And then all of a sudden, they become really smart and know everything. And that's not helpful. We pray for a job only to find ourselves employed at a company full of knuckleheads. Like this is the plight of relationships. That the very thing we want is the thing that causes so much tension in our lives. The thing that we don't understand. In the midst of this, at least in in my early years, then I prayed countless times in the midst of those chili pepper moments that God would grant me wisdom I need to figure this, I need to figure her out, and she clearly needs to figure me out. God, would you show up? Would you grant wisdom? And fortunately for us, God doesn't leave us alone in the midst of the chili pepper moments. He provides wisdom for our relationships, romantic or otherwise, and we find it in the book of Proverbs. 
What we're going to see today as we open God's wisdom for living, the book of Proverbs, what we're going to see today is that, that God offers us wisdom for how to pursue healthy relationships. And we find it in Proverbs chapter 5, so turn there with me. We're going to dive right in. Proverbs chapter 5. Again, if you have your Bible, uh, aim for about halfway. It's, you'll likely hit the book of Psalms, one of the largest books, about halfway in the Bible, and then head right. The book of Proverbs chapter 5. I, I've mentioned before in the series that Proverbs doesn't read like a normal book. It is a book of wisdom, uh, of statements or axioms, Proverbs, right? God's wisdom to us in these short statements and contrasts. But there are a couple places in the book where God actually aggregates the content a little bit by theme. Proverbs chapter 5 is one of those, where it's all centered around a relationship and how to walk through it well and rightly, pursuing health instead of folly. So pick it up with me in Proverbs 5. We're going to read the whole chapter together, including the racy parts, so parents look out. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to shale. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Again, the book of Proverbs is written really from father to son. Solomon granted this wisdom by God, is desperate to hand it over to his son, to help his son live well, live right, live according to God's wisdom. And in this here, he speaks of relationships and hopes of guiding his son. But notice where Solomon begins when it comes to relationships, where God begins in his wisdom. God doesn't start with, hey, you want to figure out your spells? Let me tell you about the other person. Let me tell you about the other sex. Let me tell you about the other you know, the other gender here. No, when, when Solomon begins, when God begins with wisdom, the perspective is upward first, not outward. It begins upward, meaning that the key to figuring out relationships is not starting with the other person. It's starting by rooting yourself in wisdom, God's wisdom. Verse one, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. 
As we saw in week one, wisdom comes from God. So when Solomon is saying, hey, be attentive to my wisdom, he's not saying, hey, I've got it all figured out. Solomon would ultimately fail even in relationships for not following the very thing that God told him to do. Solomon isn't saying, hey, listen to me. He's saying, hey, this is the wisdom from God. Pay attention to it as I pass it along to you. He's desperate, a father speaking to his son, please heed this advice. Pay attention to it, incline your ear to it. That word incline literally means to bow. It was this Hebrew word that, that kind of set this image of, of prostrating yourself before someone. Saying incline, lay your life into this. Heed this wisdom, submit and surrender to it in such a way that your life becomes immersed in God's wisdom as it relates to relationships. Because again, as we saw from Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the beginning of you understanding relationships and pursuing health and relationships, it begins with God. God is the source of what you need. Trying to figure out your spouse, you can't apart from him, the one who created her. Trying to figure out your children and the teen years, you can't apart from the one who designed them. You cannot do it alone. And so to make headway, you must incline your ear to him. Why? Because of verse 2. Because if you incline your ear to him, you will keep discretion. That you may keep discretion. Discretion is control of judgment. Control over judgment. It's insight, it's wisdom, it's control of judgment. Why do we need control of judgment? Because when we get in a relationship, it's real easy for our judgments to go out of control, is it not? It takes all of 10 seconds and, and, and a seeming innocuous comment from my wife for my emotions to flare up and for me to make assumptions that she never meant to make. I need discernment. I need control of my judgments from a godly perspective because left to myself, my judgments will tend in the wrong direction. Solomon's saying here, without God's wisdom, you will lose proper judgment. You will think wrongly and then you will do wrongly. Without control over judgment, you will react emotionally instead of respond with godliness. You will say a harsh word instead of a kind word. You won't be patient. You'll be demanding. You won't see properly. Isn't this what we all want in relationships is insight to see properly? Like, help me understand this person. Help me understand what am I supposed to say in this moment? Like, I thought I was supposed to be honest, but you didn't want that perspective. Like, haven't you ever gotten into those moments, whether it's with a boss or, 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 or a loved one in your family? You're like, I just don't understand. Tell me what to do. And God is saying, hey, incline your ear to me and I'll guide you. I'll guide your judgments and your judgments will be proper if you begin first with me. See, the first thing that we see out of the gates in this is if we walk with God, he will grant us discernment. If we walk with God, God will grant us discernment and discretion. 
It's true of life. It's true of relationships, too. Think about it. If you ever got a phone call from a friend in crisis, maybe it's work-related or child-related or a loved one-related, and they just, they need to talk it out, and they are beside themselves, and you sit over coffee or over lunch, and they just unload all these things that have been happening, and this is what happened next, and then this is what they said, and, and man, this is what I want to do. I think I'm just going to go home right now, and I'm going to tell them, this is dumb nonsense. This is over this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take their door off the hinges. I'm going to take their phone out in the driveway. I'm going to, I'm going to smash it. I'm going to prove to them, right, that I'm in charge. And have you ever sat there in that moment and you're like, oh, you should not do that. <laughs> like, let me just be a friend to you and tell you that is a bad idea. Do not tell your spouse that. Don't let those words come off your lips. See, in those moments, we are so close to the relationship and so emotionally wound sometimes that we can't see properly. We lack proper judgment. We may be landing on the right answer, but we may be saying it in all the wrong ways, with all the wrong attitude. God's saying if we walk with him, he'll grant us discretion, the discretion to do it right. Our first year of marriage, man, when things were going sideways, we get so upset, and we're both very passionate, opinionated people. I know that's probably hard for you to imagine, <laughs> of my wife, <laughs> at least. And, and, and in the midst of that, then, it, we would get frustrated, and I would just storm out of the room because we were at this crossroads, and, and she wasn't listening to my wisdom, and so I would go into the, to the guest room, and I would sit down on this futon that we had bought, right? Because when, when you're newlyweds and broke, like, you buy a futon for the in-laws. It also conveniently keeps them from staying longer than a few days. And I would go in and I would sit on this futon in the middle of, of the night, right, in the dark. And I would just sit with my hand in my head. And I would just start talking to God. And I'd be telling him all the mistakes that he made and bringing this woman into my life. And I'd, I'd be begging him for mercy. I'd be begging him for direction. I'd be begging and pleading with him to change her heart and change her perspective. Help her see where, where she was wrong. You think I'm joking. But it never failed that in these moments, when my spirit began to calm and I really began to pursue God in prayer, it never once failed that in the midst of that prayer, he would begin to bring things to mind that I had said. And I'd very quickly, no, we're not talking about me, God, we're talking about her. And then, and then he'd help me hear a tone he, he would help me hear a, a, a tone in my voice. Even if I were right on the issue, he would be convicting me over being wrong in how I was presenting it. That I'm just trying to push this through and win the fight. And it never failed that God would change my perspective. And I would start and begin praying for her only to find myself praying for myself. God, forgive me. God, change my heart. God, help me be more gracious and compassionate and help me not die when I walk back in there to apologize to her, right? Because those chili pepper moments come on strong. But God's saying, if you will walk with me and if you will submit to me, incline, bow, surrender, I will grant you proper judgment. 
like a boat without an anchor, so too are we when we're not grounded in God's counsel. We drift, and that's where the proverb goes next. Because the second thing we see in this, and the second challenge for how to foster healthy relationships, is that we have to guard where our hearts go. We must guard where our hearts go. Verse 8, keep your way far from me. Do not go near the door of our house, lest you give your honor to others, your years to the merciless. Guard where your heart goes. The point of discretion is to guard our hearts against the things that cause us to drift. And here's the thing. In the midst of chili pepper moments, we begin to compare. We compare our spouse to someone else's spouse. We compare our children to the other kids that we've seen that always obey mom and dad. We compare our boss to what we've heard of other bosses, and we become more and more upset and disgruntled with what God has given to us or where God has placed us. And certainly, I would be better. I would be happier. The whole family would be better off. When we fail to guard our hearts in those chili pepper moments, we allow thoughts and doubts and untruths to seep in. So the proverb from the father to son says, guard your heart, specifically keep your way far from her, speaking of a woman that would lure him away from his bride. In the midst of comparison that he might think that someone else is a better fit. There might be better chemistry. And Proverbs saying, hey, recognize the danger in this. It is a trap to you. It is a cancer in your relationship that will make you sicker and sicker. But notice Proverbs doesn't just caution about eyes or heart. The, the, the broader scope, the biblical theology of relationships, according to Proverbs, is that it cautions us in our words, too, and how we speak to one another. Consider this from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Have you ever opened wide your lips and come to ruin? We have to guard our words. Proverbs 17, 4. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Other translations read, the beginning of strife is like letting loose a dam. Strife, conflict, just perpetuates conflict. Criticism perpetuates criticism. Proverbs 21, 9. It's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. This is true not just of wives, men, it's true of you as well. Better to live anywhere else than under the roof with a father that you can't please, where you can't do anything right. In contrast, since Proverbs is a series of contrasts, Proverbs 16, 24, read this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words. What is grace? Grace is salve when there's been error. Grace is, is offering something that is, not, that is not expected and not deserving. And gracious words are a honeycomb dripping with sweetness. But notice it says not just sweetness, but health to the body. To the body of your relationship, gracious words are there to lift up, to build up, to offer health. 
We have to guard our thoughts. We have to guard our words because the more of those thoughts and the more of those words, they just build up and they taint. They make a toxic climate in our relationship where the more negative we speak, the more negative we become, and the more negative we portray the other person until they can never win. They always lose. It's true, not just romantic relationships, but kids too, which is why Paul in Ephesians 6 says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't be that dad where they can never do anything right for you. It's never good enough. Be gracious so that your words are sweet to the soul and provide healing to the body. In a famous study years ago, psychologist Cliff... Notarius uh, Howard Markman, they tracked newlyweds over the course of 10 years, gathering these newlyweds, following up with them time and time again. And they began to survey them to try to figure out what makes couples work and what doesn't. And why do some couples make it and other couples don't? And so over the course of these 10 years, they took these surveys over and over again with these couples and they found that it all comes down to this very subtle but substantive key. The couples that made it, among couples who would ultimately stay together, five out of every 100 comments were negative. Five. But in contrast, among those who would ultimately fail, 10 out of every 100 comments were negative. Well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, 10 out of 100, that's not too bad, right? They said that difference would only then, from that first year in marriage, grow. What they allowed in that first year, they fostered. And by the end of that time, the couples who had begun saying 10 negative words in contrast to those of five, by the end, those couples were speaking negative comments five times as often as any other couple. Five times as much, leading them to conclude this, and I quote, hostile put-downs act as cancerous cells that left unchecked erode the relationship. In the end, relentless and unremitting negativity takes control and the relationship is lost. Study is only proving what Proverbs has been saying all along. You can hear the words of Proverbs 16 echoing out. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. And Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. Because that's the thing we want to say, well, they're never gracious to me. If you could only hear how my husband speaks to the kids. If you could only hear what they're like when they come in after work. See, we, we may not be able to control the other person. We can't make them pursue God first. We, we can't control their words before God. We can, however, control the tone that we bring into the home. And a soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1 says. A harsh word stirs it up. By being those people who guard our hearts and guard our words and guard our part of the relationship, we can absolutely bring into the relationship the kind of environment that we hope takes root. But there's one final thing in this, because in the midst of guarding your heart, you see the picture of a man who goes off track. So one final thing, picking up from Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself 
alone and not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. I don't need to be, or you don't need to, an expert to unpack the insinuation here in Proverbs 5:15. Drink water from your own cistern. The wisdom is stay faithful, don't wander. It's why you're called to guard your heart. Guys, guard your eyes. Stay faithful, don't wander, even with what you look at. That builds up, that says something. If you don't guard your eyes, your words don't matter much. But in the midst of this, though we don't need an expert to unpack that, though we all know this, countless people fail in this area. All my years of ministry, I've never once sat with a couple and had the guy say, you know what? I intended to be unfaithful from day one. I knew it when I was making the vows, had no plan. No, not once. Instead, the conversations that I have are people weeping on my couch saying, I have no idea how I got here. I never intended for this to happen. So how does it happen? It happens not, in my opinion, by focusing exclusively on the warnings in verses 15 to 17. It happens by embracing the instruction in verse 18. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You play defense and try to avoid, 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 avoid. But what Proverbs is really saying is, to really avoid that well, go on the offensive and rejoice in the wife of your youth. What does that mean? See, the problem for us is we hear rejoice, we hear joy, we think, oh, that's emotion, that's like a physiological, emotional response to our circumstances. That is not joy as defined by God in the scriptures. Emotional response to circumstances is happiness. But let me just burst your little bubble right now and just tell you, no matter what relationship you're in, with no matter who, you will never perfectly be happy all of the time. You're welcome. Let us pray. <laughs> right? Because here's the deal. You are an imperfect person. And if you get in a relationship with anybody else, you're just doubling the odds of disaster. Right? Because we bring sin wherever we go. So this is not happy, like I need to find someone else that I can be happy with because this person doesn't make me happy. No person will ever make you happy because you can't make you happy. Joy and rejoicing is a choice according to the scriptures. It is choosing an attitude and choosing action regardless of the circumstances. Which is why Paul writes in the New Testament, even from prison, rejoice always. How on earth do you rejoice while writing from prison? Because Paul understood that the secret was found in God, not in everything else. So when Proverbs calls us and says, hey, you want to make your relationship work, go on the offensive, rejoice. It's saying, hey, be active by guarding your heart, guarding your words against those other things. Avoid that and be active in delighting and rejoicing and taking pleasure in the person that's in front of you. The boss that you didn't want, but they got promoted up there in front of you, rejoice in them. The teenager that's driving you nuts and you just can't wait for college to start, 
and you hope it's out-of-state school, <laughs> rejoice, rejoice. And the spouse that you don't understand, rejoice. Take active delight. But that's impossible. Because you don't know who, them, who they are, what they're like. You're right. It's impossible if you haven't fixed your eyes on Jesus. It's impossible if you're doing it in your own strength. It's impossible if the one you're looking at is them instead of him. The wisdom of Proverbs is rejoice in the one God gave you. Invest there. Focus there. Don't contrast. Don't compare. Don't drift. Pour in. Rejoice in the one God gave you. Ironically enough, long before Shania Twain ever sang the song, right? Dance with the one who brought you. Proverbs was saying it all along. The problem is when things get hard for us, we pour ourselves into other things. We avoid instead of reconcile. When things get hard, when the chili pepper moments come, we pour ourselves into hobbies, we pour ourselves into work, we pour ourselves into our kids, and we make the kids the center of our joy and satisfaction, only to find that they will one day, Lord willing, leave, right? That's how God designed it, that they wouldn't stay your children to give you satisfaction, but they would become adults that would glorify God on mission in the world. So you rejoice in your spouse. You rejoice in the one God gave you. Here's the thing, and hear me say this just a different way perhaps. Our affections will follow where our energies go. Our affections will follow where our energies go. What you pour your energy into is what you will grow affectionate towards. So you pour those energies when you're in a chili pepper moment into golf, into your hobby, into something else that you get joy from. You better believe then that your affections will increase over there because you put your energy into it. And Proverbs is saying, put your energy into the place you want your affections to grow. Because feelings will follow your actions. I have people tell me all the time, oh, it's, you know, you love to run. You know, I don't like running. I don't run because I don't like running. You think I like running? Have you felt it outside? <laughs> Triple digits, like 90% humidity in the morning. Even in the morning when I go to run, I don't run because I like it. I run because I need it. And what I find is after I run, I kind of like that. It cleared the head. It cleared the cobwebs. I feel healthier for having gone and done that. But in the moment, waking me up, telling me it's time for a run, you see Eeyore there. Okay. I do not want to work out until after I've worked out. And then I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And is this not true of our relationships? We struggle to want to invest because, man, this is a hard relation. I don't know how to do it. But we pull ourselves together and we take that teenager out who's driving us nuts and we buy him a milkshake and then we come home and, honey, how was it? You know what? It wasn't that bad. I think we're going to make it for a few hours, right? <laughs> See, feelings follow actions. 
when we choose to rejoice in spite of the circumstances, our affections will increase. Spiritually speaking, this is even true for me. The other services didn't get this. You get this. There are a lot of mornings I'd rather not spend time with Jesus. I just don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. And I always feel better after I do. My affections for him increase for having spent time with him. I don't wait for those affections to kick in so that I want to be with him. So what do we do with this? What's the practical takeaway? Three quick things as we wrap up then. First, first and foremost then, you got to put God at the center, right? Right from the very beginning. Be attentive, incline your ear, put God at the center. This is the posture of submission. It's bowing, it's surrendering. You may not be able to control their heart. They may not love Jesus. They may not speak words of life over you, but you can choose your posture and your life and your heart. So put God at the center and watch him do the work. Here's what I've learned. The quality of my relationship with God directly influences the quality of my relationships with everyone else in my life. The quality of my relationship with God. When I wake up and I spend time with him, Dawn knows it because I'm a better husband. My kids know it because I'm patient and kind. And my guess is, as young as they are, they can predict when I haven't spent much time in prayer with Jesus because I'm a bear. I demand a lot. And that's why I need to put God at the center because I need to repent of who I am because my family doesn't need that, Drew. They need to see a Jesus-influenced Drew show up each and every day. Put God at the center a few minutes each day. If you're lacking wisdom, if you're lacking discernment, you're crying out to God. Keep crying out. Keep going back. He promises he'll grant you the discretion. Secondly, honor God in how you speak to others. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a kid, make the commitment to honor God in how you speak to others and how you speak about them when they're not around. Commit to honor God with that. He will honor you for honoring him. But here's the thing. We have to choose words that are life. Remember the sweetness of a honeycomb. Choose those gracious words that are like a honeycomb. Because when we don't, when we allow our words to be negative, when we allow our words to always be critical, always be nagging, that is a deposit, whether or not you realize it. It's a deposit in the relationship. And it's not a deposit that brings health and life. It's a deposit that will reduce health and life. It will starve your soul. It will change your perspective. It will make you have a harder time loving that person just because you're always talking negatively. Watch how you talk. Honor God in how you speak to and about others. You can't control what they say, but you can bring the words that are life in. And again, Proverbs says that when we come in with a soft answer, it will turn away wrath. Lastly, reiterating and summarizing what Proverbs has said, lastly, water what you want to see grow. Water what you want to see grow. This is putting in, in Texan language, right, this, this principle from Proverbs. Here's the deal. It's the end of summer, right? It's hot. Everything is turning brown. Not the time of year to bring friends and family into San Antonio. The other night, we're walking around the neighborhood, 
and we're noticing all the yards past this yard that's just immaculate. The grass is thick, there are no weeds, and it was so green. And I stand there, I'm like, man, how did they get their yard so green? And my wife, in all of her wisdom, very pointedly and quickly, I might add, just said to me, they probably water more than once a week. <laughs> True. But still, how is it so great? Like, like, that's not what I wanted to hear in the moment. But the reality is, I'm cheap. I don't like paying the water bill, right? I live like it's a drought all year long. Conserve. Don't pay that bill. And so you know what? I get exactly what I pay for. I paid for a brown yard. <laughs> God, take this to the logical conclusion in your relationships. Some of you are getting exactly what you're paying for because you're investing little but expecting much and the grass is dying. Water what you want to see grow. If it's a struggle with a kid, invest and keep pouring water into that lawn. I know it doesn't turn around and get green very quick at all. In fact, sometimes it feels like forever but trust God. Trust the work that he's called you to. Trust that he sees. Trust that he knows. Trust that he in his time will do what is right. If it's a spouse in a tough relationship, water what you want to see grow. We'll be right back here Wednesday night taking these principles out, fleshing them out, giving you tools, giving you ways to talk in your relationships check it out. Come and join us Wednesday for the Equip marriage event. There's a life class starting for marriage later this month. You find it online. You can sign up. Invest in that. Oh, but it costs a little money. Yes. Wow. You know what costs more? (laughs) The other services didn't get that either. I get spicier as we keep going. Yeah. If we go to four services, we're in trouble. Guys, invest. Because here's the thing. Our relationships are designed to be a a reflection of the gospel to a watching world. I love the way that Tim Keller puts it when reflecting on marriage in his book called Marriage. He says, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet so wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's the painful part. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Marriage has taught me that I'm far more sinful and depraved than I ever dared believe. But it's also shown me the grace of the gospel that I'm far more loved by God and loved undeservingly by my wife than I ever hoped. So would you today commit, would you commit to being the gospel in your relationship, whether it's a hard boss or a hard child or a hard marriage? Would you commit to pouring grace in and showing more grace than they deserve? Why? Because that's what God has given you. And then trust God with the details as you put him first, as you speak well, and as you invest. 
If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made, or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.